Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to episode 71 of Strange in the Cinema. Um, it is our review of 2017, gentlemen. I'm uh, Paul Anderson here with Pete Wall and producer Jack Mills. Excited to be here uh, to talk quite a bit about this year in film. Still haven't gone first name only, but I'll go with it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's Paul, Pete, and Jack right back at you. Yeah, 2017 Review Man is probably my favourite, or this annual review episode is my favourite episode, I would say, probably of the year. We did that halfway. Mark um, episode back in the summer which was best of the year so far not all of those films on our top fives I don't think necessarily would have gravitated to the top half of our countdowns this time right no I don't I would I would say that's fair but also I just wanted to say um, a little a side note really on the fact that for this year we mean we've pretty much done an episode a week the entire year so I just wanted to really throw out like thank you for listening and and we've had a great year doing it I think on a regular basis and yeah. uh, obviously we've brought producer it's, Jack yeah, on it's board been great for me to we've come brought on. producer Jack on board who actually as much as we give him a, quite a bit of shit on the show um, <laughs> I just wanted to just publicly thank him for his efforts because yeah. he's done an incredible job and I think it's been personally I think it's been a great year for the show I mean so I mean you know listener enthusiasm and numbers may have fallen off a cliff since Jack joined the show but on the other hand, he's a really nice guy. So, you know, <laughs> thanks for that. You win some and lose some. No, it's absolutely not the case. I mean, we're way stronger as a three than we were as a two. And it's great. Also, Paul, to mention that we've had contributions from other voices in the last uh, few months, right? Including uh, Claire Clark, obviously did uh, a couple of episodes. We have Mark Brennan on. We're going to have more people in the future. We're looking forward to have, like guest hosts, maybe some more interviews in 2018. So exciting times ahead and, and a good year behind us, I think. Yeah, I think I, think I would give us a... Uh, I mean, I'd give us a good review for the year. We'll see Double what our listeners up. think. But yeah, you know, it's nice to have faith in your own product, I suppose. But um, yes. So anyway, to, to touch on that. So yeah, basically just to kind of set up the format for the uh, the review show. So we're going to do... Um, are we going to do a top... Are we going to do a bottom 10? Did we say We this? are doing a bottom 10. Yeah, we're going to do the absolute direct, the like worst of the worst films of the year. So Paul and I are going to um, fire back and forth with our individual lists of 10 of the worst films of the year. We're going to keep that as short as we can. Yeah. We don't want to get too negative on you at this time of year and then we're going to get into the real meat of the show which is going to be our individual top 10 of the year best films of the year countdown we'll do 10 through 6 we'll take a short break and then we'll come back with 5 through 1 to round off this episode well should we get into the worst films of the year then should oh, we make please. a start yes. should we make a start I think this bit as much as you say you don't want too much negativity this time of year and I it's quite 100% funny, though, agree with it? that yeah it, this, this should be quite amusing do you want to start Pete or shall I make a start I'll, I'll start because I feel like I'm sort of soft peddling us into this countdown because okay. the first thing I'm going to pick is actually kind of innocuous and vaguely inoffensive but my number 10 pick for worst film of the year is the uh, ensemble comedy film The House my question here is does Will Ferrell only make bad movies now because it seems like we get a two or three Will Ferrell like comedy vehicles per year all of which are like middling at best am I wrong I mean have I missed anything that uh, no that this actually appears really on good. my list um, but it's higher up or right. lower down as well maybe there, there, there was a, a, there a couple of others actually the, the film Fist Fight that came out this year with Will Ferrell terrible uh, Get that this year that feels yeah, like it was this a much, year. much I think it was this year, year. Uh, Get Hard which was I think last year terrible that was last year yeah um, but yeah a lot of his stuff I mean all I want to say about this as well is can we just have like another Stranger Than Fiction or either, even something 
something like Everything Must Go, like where Will Ferrell just takes a break from trotting out the same material again and again and again. I mean, there's all these people on screen, but none of it adds up to anything particularly creative or funny. Yeah. Paul, what have you got at number 10? Uh... Gore, the, from visionary director Gore Verbinski whoever dis, whoever described him as that needs a talking to um, in his film A Cure for Wellness um, it looked incredible to start with and just just descends into absolute not I'm not even going to say farce I'm going to say absolute arse it descends into absolute arse and ends up with some bizarre rampaging CGI Jason Isaacs I just did not get on with this film at all and it is my number 10 worst film of the year Pete number 9 number 9 zipping through these uh, number 9 for me is Little Evil which is a Netflix original film um, starring Adam Scott who's a a real favourite of mine and there is no reason why a film that sends up classic horror should be this bad and this free of love especially from the guys that made Tucker and Dale vs Evil and did it so well you you hit the nail on the head I mean I was stunned at how unfunny this was Considering their, you know, caliber and the peep, some of the people involved in this project, not maybe all of them, it just it just doesn't work. And it's got all these sort of tired jokes that that riff on things like the Omen that I love. It should have been right up my street, and it was nowhere near. So it hasn't that hasn't made my shit list, but I, I didn't love it. So no, I'm not, not with that one. Pete, you're not going to like this one, I'm afraid. All right. But number nine. I've got the languishing unfunny turd that was Baywatch. <laughs> oh, a bit harsh. <laughs> we, dis- we disagreed harsh. on this, I think, at the time. But yeah, um, if anyone other than Pete and his fiance have seen this, no one else liked it apart from you and Fran, I think. Um, it, so it was yeah, fun. <laughs> it was quite fun. I liked it. It just fell completely flat for me. It didn't work. Um, Pete, over to you for your number nine. Well, you're definitely going to agree with me on this one, Paul. And I imagine if it's not on your chart, I would be actually quite shocked. Uh, number eight for me, worst films of the year, is The Mummy. Oh, um, so, oh it's much lower. Higher or lower on my list? Lower, I think, really. Uh, is probably higher right, towards yeah. a ma- the yeah. top of the mountain <laughs> yes. made of shit, I guess. Yes. Yeah, uh, I basically said here, uh, to keep it pithy, nothing is alive in this movie and everything unravels. Uh, yeah, I don't need to say anything else. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, That's it, The Mummy. Yeah. Carry on, Paul. What have you got? Uh, number eight, I've got the um, the sequel, the, the I think ninth or who fucking cares, <laughs> the ninth or twelfth sequel that no one wanted, uh, Jigsaw. Right. Um, just just uh, utterly predictable and completely devoid of life. Like, could have actually been quite a fun twist on it. Could have done something like Scream or or something like Where's um, Craven's a New Nightmare or that kind of thing. Didn't didn't do anything new. Was predictable and incredibly dull and not scary in the slightest. Uh, Pete, over to you. So, this takes us to number seven on my list, uh, one that Paul and I laid into quite heavily on release. Uh, it is The Book of Henry. Also my number seven. Wow, wow. Boom. We haven't seen each other's list going in, <laughs> yeah. but we've picked it, picked it out in exactly the same spot. The Book of Henry, uh, first of all, it doesn't really make any sense or stick to any um, sort of world that we recognise as one in which human beings uh, live. But it, <laughs> Fair, it's yeah. sort of all, all of the drama that unravels but it's got such a lovely poster Pete it's such a lovely poster all of the drama here is is 
rooted in the um, the death of a young boy who is also sort of a preternaturally gifted genius who has planned not only the whole financial welfare of his small uh, family uh, headed by Nemi Watts character but also has uh, laid out plans for after his own death which his mother then follows step by step in a bid to assassinate a neighbour based pretty much on a hunch and it is just kind of embarrassing for everyone involved in this thing Naomi Watts obviously I think every few years just taps her agent on the shoulder and says I'm doing too well can you torpedo my career and then he's like yeah I've got got the script for Diana over here I've got the book of Henry I've got that thing that you've seen and I haven't but apparently is terrible shut in right we'll get to that okay okay (laughs) anything to add on book of Henry well no not really no it's just it's just the whole thing is just it's just very twee very twee like sickeningly sweet in places yeah like some of the set design's quite good but it's twee anyway yeah but but some of the set design is very good but it's too good so you've got that the scene with like the kids tree house that could only have been built by a Hollywood set designer by a team of set set designers like yeah no and uh, you know the year that the year that Naomi Watts does Twin Peaks she does this and then she does Shut In which is uh, we'll talk about that more shortly I would imagine Um, is Um, it am I up for number six or did you want do you have anything else to say on the book of Henry uh, yeah, switch it over to you. I was just going to say to you, uh, what's the best book of film? Because we've got The Book of Eli, we've got Blair Witch, The Book of Shadows, that was one, right? I think The Book of Eli might pip those two. Yeah, Book of Eli it's edges not, uh, out, and Book of Henry's got to be bottom of all the books, I would say. What have you got yeah. number six, man? Uh, I've got Transformers The Last Shite, I mean The Last Night, um, <laughs> apologies. I haven't um, seen this. Yeah, um, yeah it's just... Um, it's just as much of a headache as the rest of the films Michael Bay you it's know, a load of bollocks it, it is a load of bollocks Jack you are correct fuck you Michael Bay you f- keep fucking wrecking my childhood and I keep going to see them because you do, you put enough little geeky things going oh Unicron might be in this one and I love the animated movie there's enough to hook me back in going maybe this one will be different it wasn't it was shit the last 40 minutes looks incredible and I think it was uh, in fact I'm going to cite Mark Brennan quoted this actually who we were talking about earlier who guested in, in my absence um, said that actually it's one of those films where you feel really sorry for the special effects team who do such an incredible job but then the film they work on is just shit but he probably so, made a gazillion yeah. dollars worldwide I think, so I think the box office gross was down which was, which was quite nice but yeah just the same the same crass horrible like mean jokes aimed at people the same level of material it was just no it was just awful fuck off Michael Bay next another Michael crops up in my next one number six for me American Assassin in which Michael Keaton is See, I haven't seen this yet, is absolutely so. needlessly involved and sort of chews scenery all over the place but the, that's not the main problem the main problem is that this is an action movie that is almost completely lifeless uh, the, the action as it exists in the film it is sort of so chopped up as to be like inco- in- incoherent and the central uh, actor here is I wrote down the dullest uh, male lead actor since Henry Cavill so uh, that is some some accolade for this guy yeah I, you're not a Henry Cavill fan are you no not really uh, no, not no. really uh, American Assassin didn't make sense and it's like kind of weird and like xenophobic and jingoistic and I just didn't like it and it should just be a load of like fun you know gunplay and stuff and it even failed on that front so yeah I would avoid that and it'll come up on streaming very soon and probably do quite well but yeah very bad 
What have you got? Paul? Uh, my number five is the wall of the house, uh, which you talked about earlier. So let's go to your number five. <laughs> number five for me, uh, Paul is. I think low- we're doing well at not giving these films enough. That's the thing. We're doing well. We don't need Sorry. to give them we too don't much need attention. To give them too much attention. No, this is the point. Sorry. Uh, your number five is is a, a subtitle for this one: meaningless drivel, and it is Death Note. Sorry, Jack, because I think you might have liked this more than me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, Death Note. Uh, first off, as we established on the episode, or I tried to establish, it's not a note, it's a notebook. And it's really annoying the way that you've just ported something from Japanese culture into Western culture without thinking about the way that you could do something creative with that. And instead of made this kind of angsty teen blamange of a film that kind of folds in on itself by the end and its own sort of melodrama it, it was to me near unwatchably bad okay I'm going to set off a, a buzzer or a siren here which I've just come up with the idea of which is why Jack hasn't got any so apologies that rates as my number one favourite podcast moment of the year which I'm going to throw in now which is when Jack said to be honest guys if you're into the anime it's probably worth a watch and I think you for sure shortly followed by me just went no it isn't Jack and then we moved on so I enjoyed that a lot I did feel a bit for you Jack on that, on that moment well, no, actually, Paul, so that's, that's out there with one of my favourite moments but, of the but year surely <laughs> Jack had co-signed on this what we should have done instead of that instead of that insult is written that insult down on a little notebook page and then thrown it to the wind because then eventually that would have come round and like got you know wreaked havoc on his life this film is drivel Paul what have you got next um, oh my, my list gone off hold on Sorry, oh. I'm getting so excited about moments of the year. My list gone off. Oh yes, the fucking steaming turd that was the mummy, which you talked this about number four. You, just, yeah. just, just awful. Just not scary. Had was a film about Tom Cruise, not about the mummy. Universal have got the rights to the the, the monsters. Tri- the, the original monsters films are so good. Like if you go back to the 1930s, like the, the the classic monster films are superb. Just make a horror film. Don't make a shitty Marvel esque action comedy. What was the what's the name of the girl in it, Paul? Can you remember that? Oh, um, Sophia Bartella. Yeah. Sophia Bartella, we like. And she was, I think, for what she was given to do here, in, in that movie, I should say, in The Mummy, w- was pretty good. But what she was given to do was not very much at all, like crouching and looking vaguely yeah. menacing. She didn't get to exploit all of the physical skills that she clearly has as this high-level professional dancer. And around it, you just had like all this... So maybe it should have been renamed up. Crouching Mummy Hidden Talent. Ooh. Ooh. Can't top that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what have you got next? Well, I can only top it, Paul, with... Uh, blowing right in here is a Geostorm yeah Geostorm oh. makes number four so for how has this missed my list how have I missed Geostorm off my list I'll try and do you justice man like for Geostorm <laughs> I've written space plus huge storms plus massive destruction equals somehow boring so yeah the, the film um, already uh, it has our, our boy from 300 what's his name Gerard Butler thank you I'm going to do that all episode probably that's about uh, the enthusiasm with which he acts as well yeah G- Gerard Butler can, can really sour me on almost any film from from the gate really but with this thing you just think like all the elements are here to just make something that doesn't take itself seriously and it's just really fun and stupid and over the top and they kind of go some way towards doing that and then weirdly sort of pull back and try and have moments of actual drama and and somewhat like pathos that just don't coexist with the other elements of the film yeah Geosom was a mess I went and saw it in IMAX I had to pay like an uh, what do you call that like a, an 
an uplift uplift thank yes. you yeah an uplift on the ticket price just to see this thing for two hours and I kind of just got a headache and not a lot else Paul what have you got we're getting right down to it now these, these top three are pretty close to be honest but my uh, in in third place is the second know me what's film to make this list um, and this is shut in um, they should swap the vowels <laughs> Uh, what's your next one? Shit on Shitten. 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 I was so on the uptake of yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Jack. Thank you. Shitten. Moving on. What's next? Number three for me. Um, yeah, go insert this film directly into a hipster at a music festival it's Kingsman the Golden Circle oh um, wow they really made that high the, on your shit the list. tracker implant scene in this guys is it worth mentioning looks even worse in the light of recent Hollywood revelations we've got a male lead in a major release movie who goes to a festival with the express purpose of essentially sexually assaulting someone just saying that was one of the films that came out late summer this year uh, Kings yeah, and Circle, played for comedy yeah yeah, and it's, not, comedy, and it's yeah. not just that moment I mean you might have a different opinion to me on that moment but the film just revels in kind of the moments that for me just so badly misfire to, to the extent that it undoes all the good stuff right because we had Julianne Moore in this who was having a lot of fun that was enjoyable Mark Strong was decent in this film but for all of the even Channing Tatum for the time that he was on screen but for all of the good, nowhere near he should have been in it much more but for all of those good little bits more. you cancel them out with oh we're going back to another scene with a flamboyant Elton John I mean yeah it, it just didn't work for me the first one didn't work for me the second one was even worse Kings with the Golden Circle my number three what have you got Paul? I've got at number two a film that I expected to kind of come out and, and do you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest here a film that I expected Girls Trip to be a poor imitation of because it didn't get as much marketing as this did in the in the run up to it and actually it turned out to be the other way around Rough Night is my second worst film of the it year was very bad it was dreadful it was almost an entire well for me it was an entirely laugh free experience and you've got you've got an established established cast of comedians um, that should have been much better than this there was some moments in it that were just bizarre that made there's this whole subplot about the the, the fiance coming to try and stay, save Car- Scarlett Johansson on I think. crazy drugs yeah on crazy drugs it was just shit and by shit I mean shit like I sat there and what, what's your play on words on this one there is no play on words rough shite rough shite yeah maybe <laughs> Maybe enough, <laughs> enough bite. I know there's that's not a play on words. Anyway, enough, enough. There's no need peak, for... My play on words has peaked with shitting. <laughs> it's the, peaked. Well, you'll be um, th- you'll be thankful, Paul, for the fact that my number two does just plays on words on its own without us adding anything. My number two is Flatliners. Uh, I wrote. In How was no- Flatliners not made my top ten worst films of the year? How has that happened? Uh, because I completely forgot about it. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, that's damning in and of itself. <laughs> I completely forgot it even existed. Uh, yeah. I wrote two things in my notes uh, here. They are, how quickly can a group of friends get over the death of one of their other closest friends? Watch the film and you'll understand. And my second note is just the word, why? Why does this exist? I don't know. Why should you spend your time watching it? There is no reason. Do like Make sure you never watch this, even if you're down to the absolute... like last choices on Netflix in a year or two's time avoid like the playing flatliners Paul what has made your number one spot my number one spot and here's a clip and then I'll talk about it the number one worst film is getting a clip spirit strives to find a new home I'm telling you she's coming back this time for real you were never afraid of her it's because you had a vision 
doesn't mean you know what that vision means. You have no idea the hell that you would unleash on the world. So that is, of course, um, the quite, quite, quite fucking awful uh, rings, um, which I really, really did not like. And um, basically, for me, rings has been a benchmark of when I've watched... um, And as as I've mentioned on the podcast before, I've watched a lot of films this year, and a number of them, my wife, fair play, has sat through with me, and she's gone, oh, that was bad. And Rings, for me, has been the benchmark of going, if if a film's been bad, I go, well, at least it wasn't as bad as Rings. At least it wasn't as bad as Rings. At least it wasn't as bad as Rings. And on an amusing side note, um, Laura, my wife, did did make a list, and and hello, um, you've got an actual name check on this one, because in your top ten worst films of the year... Lost City of Z or Lost wow. City of Z was on was on my wife's worst films of the year when she came Stunning. out she was like it was boring and then she did say I'm pretty sure she did say but yeah you're right it wasn't as bad as Rings um, for me nothing this year has been as bad or as cynical as Rings um, even Jigsaw to be honest even Jigsaw try, tried I don't know maybe Jigsaw is on a par but Rings was just just awful just flat even cynical with, sequel even with Paul the acting chops of Leonard out of the Big Bang Theory yeah and Vincent D'Onofrio who, yeah, who was big. good in this but had nothing to do it you, was you're just, giving me flashbacks to this movie like this didn't yeah. make my top 10 shit list but like now that you're talking about it I'm just remembering like <laughs> the middle of the film we're just like what's happening yeah exactly yeah. what's going on and then uh, like, we were watching this we were watching a bit we were watching a clip earlier I think you you showed me a clip and there's what was the word do you remember the word it said oh that was it so so there's this tension and then they're typing something on the screen and it's R E B I R T and then the people are like, what? What's it going to say? And then, oh my God, oh, H, rebirth. And you're like, oh, like, just, no, just, just, but Rings was dr- it, at the dreadful. Of right. it, doesn't the rain go upwards? Isn't that a sequence? The beginning, they like really milk the sequence, yeah. the rain goes upwards. I think the rain does go upwards. So yeah. creepy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, great rings, choice. Um, yeah, great choice. Yeah. Rings. Uh, uh, Pete. Um, so, uh, let's, let's, should we should we play in a clip first? Yeah, wanna... so the head of my list, I, I'll do the same as Paul, I won't reveal it. I'll instead have you listen to a clip and then I'll come back with a few thoughts. Good morning, everyone. Sun is shining and I definitely need my coffee. <laughs> we are in my third week of transparency and we're up to 2,308,007 viewers. Wow. Did I tell you guys I'm not a morning person? Okay. Among all of those viewers are... I don't even know what the Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Hi. Hi, May. Say hello to everyone. So, what is it, Pete? Tell us. Uh, I hear, hi, Mum, hi, Dad, and I just think, oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> but um, that's a, that's a story for another day. Yeah, uh, this film, in case you had not realised, is the reprehensible Netflix original, I believe Netflix original, yep. The Circle. This is not, like, functionally the worst film of the year. Production-wise, it's not the worst film of the year. Performance-wise, it's not the worst film of the year. <laughs> but it is a film that is just unrelentingly, unremittingly tedious and 
instantly dated. Like, as soon as that film was greenlit, they should have realised they were already behind the curve. So by the time the film comes out and you have this Tom Hanks figure as a sort of proto-Mark Zuckerberg talking about a technology that's going to age your life, but the story has less depth than that side plot in GTA V, you just <laughs> think, like, what are we doing here? And Emma Watson is so earnestly, like, putting all this, this effort into re-communicating a message that we need to watch out about the creep of technology. We've talked a few times, Paul, about how Black Mirror, by its quality, deems a lot of other stuff irrelevant. Mm, Never could that be truer than in the case of something like The Circle. It's like a film about the dangers of technology made for, like, you know, carbon monoxide poisoned 60-year-olds. I I don't know what the audience is here. And obviously it's found something of an audience on, on Netflix, but I'll finish by just saying, how many kayaking scenes do we need in a major release motion picture in 2017 because Emma Watson doesn't need to ever sit in a kayak on screen again I've had more than I need for an entire lifetime I despised the circle so uh, if you think otherwise on any Good. of our I choices wasn't, I wasn't a know. fan it wasn't bad enough to make my 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 list personally but I, I'm with you it wasn't although Paul have you noticed a bit of serendipity here you've ended your countdown with uh, number one rings and I've ended with the circle oh we've come full circle what could that mean it, it I don't could, I have no idea but Jack what does that mean come on uh, that you both dislike films about circles it's maybe circles of life yeah um, maybe but I'm Who a big knows? fan of the Lion King so anyway this is drifting into <laughs> this is a bit <laughs> Sorry. Right, anyway, we'll be back shortly uh, with our the, the meat and bones of the episode, Pete, I think, yeah. with our top ten of the, the year. The good stuff. Yes, the good stuff. We're back, are we not, Paul? We are indeed. We are. We are. Very now much we've cleansed, cleansed our palate from the uh, from the worst of 2017. It's time to get into the it, it's good get into the good stuff. I think that now we can just draw a line under all these films and hopefully never think about them again. It might be easier said than done, but I'm going to try my very best. So let's get into the reason why we're really here, which is to count down the, in our opinion, anyway, the top ten films of 2017 now we should say the sort of disclaimer before we start we are a uk based podcast the website that we're launching in the new year is going to be a .co.uk address that is to say that all of the films that we deem eligible for our list paul they had to come out this year in the uk right Yes, that is correct. So they are all UK releases. Um, so yeah, yeah, UK UK theatrical or streaming release. That's um, right. Basically, yeah. this, this, you, do you see where we're coming from? Yeah. So, if you can't watch it in the UK in 2017, it can't be on a list. If you've been to a film festival or you've got an advanced screener, good for you. But we're not in that position anyway. We don't want to make that list. We want to make the list based on this year. Um, we just wanted to say as well before we start the countdown, uh, mention a couple of films that maybe we wanted to see and haven't had the opportunity to see up to and including you know the point at which we're recording the show Paul what comes to mind for you of things that you think may have troubled call me by your name I think call me by your name just yeah I, I, I really wanted to see it I didn't get to it I think we've we've made a concerted effort this year to try and get to absolutely as much as we possibly can um, as much as we are we're not that far from Bristol it's not always easy to take the train to, to another town to watch a film uh, yeah Call Me By Your Name I think I think is, is the big is the big 
um, exclusion from this list, unfortunately. Yeah, and, um, I mean, and just, I just I just wish we were in a position like with how I watched Good Time or how we watched Happy End, where other people would would put you where other distributors would put you in a position where if it's not going to get a wide cinematic release you can maybe pay to watch it online I'd yeah. be happy to do that rather than now we have to wait until I think April it's out here on, on blue on home release it's a long way is, behind yeah it's ridiculous it's it's one of um, those that sort of slips through the net and ends up being way later in the UK I mean um I, I would sort of back you up on what you were saying at the same time with the sort of caveat that uh, both of us but I paid 10 English pounds to watch a film that ends with an elderly man rolling himself into the ocean <laughs> but but I'm more I'm happier for having the opportunity to access well, yeah, that I mean, stuff, I, I, I paid £10 to watch Good Time and it didn't make this list you didn't um, have a good but, time no I did have a good time it's a, it's a, it's a very it's, it's a very good film so anyway um, Paul but, we should yeah. mention anything else that crops up here I mean one that is you is it I Am Not A Witch is that the is I'm that Not the, A Witch yeah. yeah we haven't seen that either I don't know if it's readily available I think it's on limited I think it's on limited release, release at the moment um, you mentioned Good Time I haven't seen Good Time Blade yet. of the Immortal I so really want to that. yeah the Mike Takeshi film yeah. we talked about like last week I think or two weeks ago on the show maybe um, also what else I'm looking at a, a list of things that we had down here um, it, a number that haven't yeah UK releases is not with us yet so oh there was another one um, Alan Gomis film Felicite is on movie streaming which we all have I think now and I haven't got to that yet and I know it made certain prominent lists at the end of the year so I'm definitely going to get onto that very soon The Leveling you've seen I haven't I'm keen on that one God's Own Country you've seen I haven't there's a theme emerging here Mr. <laughs> Mr. 365 over here <laughs> anything well, else for you, know. you Paul anything else uh, for you no I no, I think with the exception of those two that I've brought up I think I've seen what I wanted to see this year to 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 be honest, I, I think I have in terms of and, new releases. And can we can we slightly call out Sight and Sound magazine for all of their zeitgeisty ways because of the fact that their number two film of the year is the TV series Twin Peaks: The Return, and um, they've also got in there the Vietnam War, the epic Ken Burns documentary series about Vietnam. Both of those things uh, I haven't seen them and very keen to see. The, the David Lynch obviously is a, an egregious also, miss. This, on my this, part. this might be it's not that an egregious miss. I didn't enjoy Twin Peaks: wow. The Return very much, but that is thankfully we don't do a TV podcast otherwise people into TV would probably ruin me for saying that because it's got a lot of critical love well, the other one was The Handmaid's Tale was fairly high on their, on their top which I haven't seen in Venice, but. And, no The Handmaid's Tale is very very good but it's a television series mm. and I think we've still got to have a bit of delineation this is coming from a guy who on the last year's yeah, show yeah. <laughs> OJ yeah. Made in America I think was up in my top five but anyway Paul Let's get down to business. We're going to go 10 through right. 6 on our countdown. I'm excited not? to say what number 10 is. Okay. Uh, it's Assassin's Creed Origins. Oh, the game? <laughs> no. <laughs> the movie? No, it's not. No. Oh, okay. no. no, not the fucking movie. No, <laughs> I haven't <laughs> seen that yet this year. No, no anyway, it was playing on what he did last year. But anyway, <laughs> yes. Uh, no, at number 10, I will start properly now. At number 10, my 10th best film of this year is Taika Waititi's Thor Ragnarok. Um... I just as much as as much as uh, like copycat blockbusters frustrate me and about how everything now has quips in and things that I said on the last episode about Star Wars really really irritated me about everything's just trying to be funny um Thor Ragnarok works is because it's a comedy it is primarily a comedy and not like a superhero action film and it is a very very funny comedy um I, Chris Hemsworth I think 
uh, Watiti himself made some comments in the make it running up to, to Thor being released is that actually he thought he'd play Chris Hemsworth to his strengths and um, Pete I don't know what you thought but I thought that he really really did yeah absolutely um, absolutely agree I mean this one for me was was one of the real cinematic pleasures of the year it made um, 15 for me so not quite on the top okay. 10 but yeah in, in terms of sort of action cinema and, and certainly like comic book universe stuff this was a real high bar I think that was set by Yeah, and I think you know you've got you've got a a great cast. It's just the whole thing is a lot of fun. It doesn't take itself seriously at all. I think there you know there are arguably some weaknesses with with the villain. Is probably she's probably underused, but she's she's great in it. Kate Blanchett, Uh, Jeff Goldblum's character is just superb and it was just it was a whole heap of fun and um, also didn't feel burdened by a lot of the, the expanded universe stuff which is coming up which I'm kind of excited about with, with the talent working on board but it just felt like it, it kind of stood alone for me um, was certainly the best I would it's up there with my might well be my favourite Marvel film actually but we'll see on repeat viewings I have only seen it the once but yeah really really enjoyed Thor Ragnarok and if you haven't seen it yet check it out it's very very funny it's your second Wonder Woman number one right no <laughs> um, okay number 10 for me this year 10th best or favourite film of the year I guess is the film Tower this was on my um, top 5 or whatever we did midway point shamefully Peter, I still haven't watched this which is terrible of it me was streaming I don't know that it's streaming anymore I think you might have to pay for it through Amazon Video okay. but you know I, I may be wrong on that uh, yeah Tower is uh, a film that is a, a document with a bit of a twist it blends animation testimony archival footage um, to relate the events of August 1st 1966 when a gunman opened fire from the University of Texas clock tower killing 16 people now this film um, and its animated stylings remind you of something a bit like the way that like um, Richard Linklater wrote a scope, darkly or yeah, yeah. rotoscoping with a, with waking life or right. maybe a scanner darkly right, okay. it's not it's quite like the same life, it? okay. it's not quite the same technique but it could come off hokey it could come off as a way of sort of undercutting what is a very serious event the reason that it doesn't is because of the strengths of like the the voice acting that we have here or the voiceover work that's included in terms of uh, real life victims of of that day or or people who were on the scene on that day Um, also because of the way that it's all blended together and also and finally this gnawing sense as you watch the film Tower that this is so far removed way back in 1966 and also in 2017 it's right at our door because this my word has been a year where terrorism has been on front pages with alarming regularity, Mm. I think. And that sense that... There's a scene in this film, Paul, and I think I mentioned this when I talked about it for the first time, but the scene that stuck with me all year is where one of the people who was there on that day... um, And, you know, there's a sniper picking off people seemingly at random, and these people who have been hit are lying, maybe injured, maybe clinging on to life. And one of the people who's there on the day says, I didn't go and help and I could have. And that's the day that I realised that I'm a coward. And it just makes me think and made me think so much about like, what would you actually do? If the terrorism Mm. is in front of you, if an attack is on your street, how do you as a man, as a woman, as a young person or whatever, how do you respond 
to that level of fear I, I don't know and I think that the film is worth the time for really just posing yourself that question maybe so this one is Tower I recommend it highly um, and it is available if not on regular streaming then at least for a, a small fee Paul what have you got number 9 uh, and just before just before I go into number 9 um, Jack if you have seen any of these and weighed in please do because we we've, 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 we've kept our list to ourselves to keep it more of a surprise to us as, as we as we read them out so if you have seen any of them then yeah. by all means weighed in but just to make you aware that we don't we don't know the lists before they come out um, so yes my number 9 um, is a film that I really really did not expect to like as I think I might have mentioned when we reviewed it before but it has hauntingly remained with me for almost an entire year now and this is Garth Davies' uh, Lion mm. um, which just is incredible like I, 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 the more I think about it the more I like it like the initially when I first saw it I thought the, the first half was considerably better than the second half and I thought the second half was perhaps over long and there were some elements I didn't particularly like but I've now seen it I think four times now um and not every time it gets better I think I think it's the, the second time I watched it was like, actually no the second half for me is probably as effective have you got a 4k um, transfer of this at home as well no I've got oh, a, I, thought, I didn't know if I'd no. seen it here no, it's um, just on Blu-ray, I think. Right. Um, but it's just the, the first half is incredible, as I think we've discussed before. With with um, is it Sunny Panwa? Yeah, Sunny pa- Sunny Power. Um, just incredible. Like and the film, it almost the way, may as well be a silent film. I think we said um, at the time, but Sunny Power had not only never been in a film before; he had never seen, seen a, a film, film before. This, yeah. for, uh, this was the, the little boy. Yeah, 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 yeah had yeah. never seen um, a, a cinematic. So yeah, movie so, it's, so it's yeah, so, so it follows it follows the story of, of Saru who basically gets um gets lost not even abandoned and finds himself like the other side of India which is a horrible horrible yeah, thought absolutely. but a genuine but a, a genuine story and then gets adopted by an Australian family and just for me the film was just said it, it stayed with me all year there's this one particular scene where um Nicole Kidman is talking to Saru about with you know we didn't have to adopt when she talks about not having to adopt children we could have had children ourselves and we chose to adopt it's something that it's something that really, really resonates with me personally, and I've mm. got, I've got strikes, I've got very, quite strong feelings um, on the side of adoption, shall we say, as opposed to, you know, that's just going to sidetrack now. Strong feelings in support of people adopting, um, and just that moment where she turns to him and says, "We didn't, you know, we didn't have to adopt," just, just reduced me to tears. Um, I just, and I did not expect to like it, and this is what I want to make clear: is when I watched the trailer, I thought it might be overwrought. I thought they might overplay this. I thought it could be like very Richard Curtis for one of. For one of a better description, yeah, um, and it wasn't, and it just it stayed with me all year. And I think Lion, if you haven't caught up with it yet, please do so. It is excellent, and I really, really liked it. Yeah, and and then more and more people will recognise what we mean when we talk about people like doing a montage. Yes, doing a montage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doing a which, to be fair, yeah, doing a montage. Yeah, I'm so glad which actually that is the, no. In fairness, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, yes, the, the character of Manchosh, um I'm not sure it's a, it's a joke in the best of taste, uh, <laughs> but it has amused us anyway. It comes up in the pub quite a lot where. Paul, can you just stop talking? You're being such a man right now. <laughs> and normally aimed at me, I hasten to add. But yeah, and then you stop. Storm, being, you storm you're being out such of the a man Yeah, you storm out of the pub and go live in the hills, and yeah. you're still being yeah. a man Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yes. Moving um, swiftly along, then I guess, Paul. Um, number nine for me this year. Uh, it, it's a, uh, same for you, man. But like, really difficult to 
pull apart what's going to go up and down in, in this chart. Oh, this year has been this year has been very difficult. It's been an incredible year for films as far as I'm concerned, and this top ten was very hard to put together. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I've eventually yeah. gone for um, the Julia DeCorno film Raw. Which, uh, okay. Um, basically, again, I think my main criterion for this list was something that Paul touched on um, a second ago, which was something that really sticks with you. And maybe also, again, referencing what you said about Lion, a film that hits you on some kind of personal mm. level, right? It ties into your sensibility or your life in, in a particular way. In the case of Raw, I guess that's because this year I uh, flirted with being a vegan for uh, a whole month and now have... Res- honestly talks about nothing else. It's true. It's 100% true. <laughs> Militant for a month. And then uh, oh. receded, receded back to the relative safety of, of my current uh, pescatarianism. But the film uh, Raw that I'm talking about here is uh, first and foremost a, a central performance from Garance Marillier, I think is her name, which uh, pulls you in from the outset. She is a young student going off to veterinary college, but part of that experience is going through a sort of hazing process that culminates with having to eat the kidney of a rabbit to prove that you're part of the group. She doesn't want to do it because her whole family are vegetarians, and her sister, who is supposed to stand by her and support her older sister, um, basically sells her out and says you know just go ahead don't be a pussy eat the rabbit kidney she does that and from that moment on we get this investigation of the way in which what you consume um, impacts the way that you deal with the world it deals with um, coming of age it deals with sexual maturity it deals with uh, violence it deals with um, intimidation so many themes at work and this as I understand and I may be wrong is uh, the the director Julia DeCorno's first feature film I think she's made shorts before an astonishing achievement for a first film. I would agree I think it, in any other year and you'll probably hear this a lot in any other year I think it probably would have made my top 10 it just just sat out of it it, it did when I was I've been probably for about three or four weeks now dabbling playing around with this list and I think it, it got in and then it went out and then it got in and then went out and I was I think probably sat at number 11 I think um, but yeah, yeah, yeah incredible film you'll also never look at um, intimate hair removal in the same way after no. you've seen this film <laughs> no it's kind of uh, like it's, it's, I would say there's some as there's some similar in the in the way that you'll remember there's one scene that everyone remembers from Cabin Fever yeah. which we still haven't made you watch absolutely into Jack, interestingly enough which absolutely. is, is first an unrunning <laughs> gag of the year but, yeah, I will watch it yeah, apart, yeah. apart from the slow motion drop kick it's the first yeah. part <laughs> yeah. that comes to mind from Cabin Fever yes. and it's the thing that came to mind in that particularly yeah. difficult sequence in Raw yeah. but Raw is fantastic mm. search it out uh, make sure yeah, you watch it as yes. soon as possible Paul what have you got uh, for number 8 right and I know a number of people are going to be going no this is 2016 it's 2016 it's not it came out on the 1st of January official UK release date and this is um, J.A. Biona's A Monster Calls um, having and I, I, I did I think probably the, the own, possibly the only time I've showed emotion on the podcast is when it's my favourite comment of the year <laughs> is um, and I, I laugh, I'm laughing loudly now um, talk with, with, with a monster cause because um, I lost my father a, a few well, a couple of years ago now um, to a, a, a mercifully short battle um, with cancer and a monster cause is essentially about a, a child will be obviously young, much younger than me when he loses his father uh, loses his father to cancer um, and cancer is kind of the, the this 
this kind of mythical creature, like tree-like creature. Um, but it was just, it just touched, it just literally touched me in in ways that meant that films rarely, rarely do. Um, having been through that, having kind of, and I think there's there's moments in the film where the child is angry and wants thing and wants it to be over he kind of wants his dad to die he kind of wants his dad to die this is what's referenced because he just wants it to be over and i think having 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 lost someone to cancer and having watched that happen you kind of feel guilty that he just and there was moments where i was like why can't he why can't it just be over like why can't he just why can't he just pass away now because this is putting a lot of stress on my life you know and, and driving 100 miles to see him every weekend and it it puts a lot of stress in your life and there are times when you you kind of, and then you just feel like a you feel like a fucking awful human being when you're going but this is taking a toll on me and you kind of think why am i thinking that my dad's actually the one dying mm. and i think actually there's there's moments in this film that reflect the fact that you are angry with with kind of how you're reacting and it is actually okay to feel that way and I think a monster calls captured that so well for me and just I haven't I haven't actually managed to face it a second time because I just cried pretty much all the way through amongst the calls I think the only other film I've cried in as much was a more yeah. um, and yeah I just I just think for that it kind of it kind of it made me feel that it was okay to feel how I was feeling when I just wanted it to be over and I, I hasten to add that I knew it's not me trying to I'm not I knew that it was terminal with my father so I knew there was an end I knew the end was coming there was no there was no chance of recovery and I think when like, and it just made me feel okay with with feeling that actually I want this to be over because this is fucking with my life now yeah so yeah and once the calls no, uh, I, I, number eight I totally um it chimes with me what you say Paul because the, the film Monster Calls uh, touched me quite deeply but I hadn't been through the same experience and certainly not as, as in close proximity as you but I think that it was sort of um, the power of, of Felicity Jones face in that film also sort of broke me apart yeah. and, and as it did recently when I caught up with uh, Like Crazy I think she has that sort of ability for some reason Felicity Jones but she's a great actress I think just, she, she just really to touch on what you talk yeah. about like one that near missed no actually not that near missed missed by maybe 10 or so positions my chart uh, film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool which we reviewed recently yeah. which I know has got very middling reviews but just to touch on sort of what you were saying I told you coming out of it that it done an absolute number on me like yeah. it broke me down in the theatre and, and the main reason for that is because there's a sequence where the Jamie Bell character is carrying his partner down the stairs and she is unable to help herself and um, my now fiance at that time girlfriend um, has uh, arthritis that flares up she's a mm. young woman but it flares up for her and there's a possibility who knows touch wood it won't be this case but in the future that she might need physical help to, to move around and I go into that situation with eyes wide open yeah. but at the same time when a film hits a nerve like that you know it really it really sticks with you like you've said about yeah. Monster Calls I think very well so yeah great choice um, <laughs> and uh, we've got we're going to have to go to like a comedy or something hopefully in the yeah, hopefully. Yeah. so I didn't mean to didn't mean to no no no, no. just because I've had a, a glance down at what I've picked celebratory tone well know, what I've so. picked a number eight dude is <laughs> number eight for me on, on this year is one I don't think too many people would have seen and I would recommend it with some caveats it is the documentary uh, Kingdom of Us I reviewed it in popcorn on the hold show hold on hold hold the phone 
Mm. Jack, what's, what's happened there? He's what's happened there? He's got a documentary in his top ten. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, it's the second, the second one. It's the second, the second yeah, yeah, from yeah. three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the last one, though. Uh, yes, Kingdom of Us is, uh, I wrote down here simply, it's my most personal choice on the list. Um, it's a documentary film that is now, I believe, and still streaming on Netflix. And it tells the story of a family affected by I, I, I'm loath to say afflicted by affected by uh, the mental illness that ravages some of the children in the family but particularly their father and the patriarch of this household he is a man who moves his family out into the countryside and um, in classic sort of um from the sort of classic template of bipolar disorder, he fleets from great uh, rushes of creativity and expression and humour and love for his family and surroundings to absolute sort of thudding lows of incommunic- incommunicative uh, nothingness, really. And there are a couple of scenes in the film that I just found really difficult. And, you know, we're being fairly open-hearted, I think, on our review show this, this end-of-year portion. I think I've just thrown it out there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that and, I, and I'm all for that and I have no, no qualms really so uh, you know mental illness is something that I think has affected both of our families if we're quite honest Paul um, and oh, yes, yeah. to, to see there's a sequence in the film where the um, because a lot of it is like accessed like you had in um, Capturing the Freedmans where yeah. the people in the family are actually recording themselves yeah, there's amazing almost too intimate which well, just footage. A, just an injection if you've never seen that check out Capturing the Freedmans yeah for mm, sure bonkers um, but so, so they present in one of the, the scenes uh, they present their father with a birthday cake and all of the kids I think they're five girls and a boy they want to sing happy birthday to their father there's all this happiness and joy around his wife's there the marriage is together they've got this house they've got these great surroundings and as they watch the dad through the lens of the video camera there's nothing there's nothing there's blackness he can't raise a smile he can't hug his children he can't talk about anything and it and it for me encapsulated better than almost anything I've ever seen on screen what it feels like to either experience or be on the other end of someone suffering from sort of a severe depressive disorder um, and lastly on this film and then we'll hopefully get on to you know reviewing uh, something hilarious is um, the, the scene in which one of the daughters says uh, when it's revealed uh, some way through the film that the father ended his own life that he killed himself to save his family because he had written he had written diary entries in which he plotted to uh, well he'd actually attached uh, locks to the doors so that he could lock them from the outside lock his family in and kill his entire family it's not to say that that is a characteristic trait by any means of anyone who's suffering with depressive disorders but in this case to have a teenage girl say my dad ended his life to save our family is yeah just one of the most emotionally sort of gut-punching gut moments that, that I've experienced all year so that's why Kingdom of Us is number eight for me it's probably why I haven't watched that and the Monster Calls in the same year then from some yeah. of it, but yeah. give yourself a break man um, yeah so number seven for me um, is a film that not on 
it's definitely torn people straight down the middle. And um, just before I say what the film is, I did so. Some a friend of mine on Facebook did mention that actually, I didn't like it. And I put actually, it's a film for people really into films. And I didn't mean to. It wasn't meant as a pretentious comment, but I think that is probably the best way you could describe uh, my film at number seven, which is a ghost story, mm. uh, which has torn people entirely down the middle. And I, I completely, if you came out of this and say I didn't like it. I'd have nothing bad to say about you. I'd, I'd go, mm. yeah, I get it. Like, I totally get it. But for me, it really, really resonated. Like visually, the film was incredible. Like there's, there's that one moment when the ghost just jumps forward all the way into the future and then jumps off the building. Oh, I was just, for me, there was just something about the ghost story that was just so, so different. And just, I really, really enjoyed it. Pete, you, you, is this is this in this list? Just... It's in my list. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll, okay. I'll keep my cards enough, uh, my enough. cards close to my chest, but it is in my list. I just yeah. thought that like the the simplicity of it, just and the simplicity and the coldness of it. There were there were a couple of moments I didn't like, but for the most part, it really it really really struck me. And I think um, and I think I'm not going to spoil what Pete's going to say because I think I know what Pete's going to say on second viewing because I I think we did we see it together or and then I, I took my now wife mm. I think my Laura you've got another shout out on this uh, she came out of the she came out and she was uh, her comment was all all the feels yeah. all the feels as a comment I was like yeah it's, a, it's an emotional roller coaster. it's not a perfect film it's one of those isn't it man but, do, you, do yeah. you remember I don't know what your response was because we're going back a, a couple of years but to when you saw Boyhood at the cinema because I saw Boyhood on my own um, my uh, then girlfriend was uh, busy tied up doing something and I, I remember did you, ver- see it? did you make it did you I did yeah they, they re-showed it I think oh they uh, did didn't they yeah, yeah they brought yeah. it back and I'd missed it at yeah because I think, I think I'd criticised you for not seeing it in the year it actually came Justifiably, time, I yeah. <laughs> and I went home after seeing Boyhood, and uh, Francesca asked me, you know, how was the film? Did you enjoy the film? And I said, I didn't really say anything. I just wanted to give her a hug, and it was like that's all I could do. I was like, I can't really explain the film, but I just want to give you a hug. So yeah, such powerful responses. I think that you can have uh, off the back of, of certain films, anyway. Um, talking of powerful responses, Paul, shall I go on to my number seven? Yes, please do. Number seven for me has crept in there at the 11th hour. Um, it's a film that I saw a few months ago, and as I was musing on what has stuck with me most this year or resonated most, I just couldn't keep it off the list. It's My Life as a Courgette. Oh, uh, okay. Again, what I would say, number... 12 or 13 mm. it's certainly if we had a top 20 my love is a cool shit would be in there mm. yes. and do you know why it would be in there it's because do you know what up until just now I thought it was a 2016 film I, I believe <laughs> I really thought it was a 2016 I UK believe release. no it is no it is, a 20, is no, no it is yeah. because it is because up until just now I thought that and then now I've remembered reading some of that actually no because I think it made made Mark Kermo's list I think mm. um, and of course uh, labelled oftentimes as My Life as a Zucchini over the other side of the Atlantic but uh, My Life as a Courgette is a terrific animated film it wears its heart on its sleeve it doesn't sugarcoat the struggles of like being a young person Uh, this is a film about a child but it's a film about a child who faces very real world um, difficulties it's, and struggles it's, right? it's, if, if I may yeah, go step ahead. in um, it, it's so well done Like it, it's a film about such such dark dark issues that you could quite happily I would say show to an 8 year old mm. and they would and, they, yeah. and then and then they would then they would then come to you with going actually what happened and then as a parent I say as a as a parent I, I, I'm not a parent myself but I can imagine this is a film you would show to a child to go yeah. like this and then they would watch it and then they would come to you with questions yeah. and then you could 
could present like what as a parent would be a horrible situation to describe to someone have you seen this Jack? I haven't no. you haven't it's as, on a Amazon, teacher, as a Amazon teacher Prime, I think. as yeah, a teacher you definitely should watch okay. well, if you haven't you should definitely watch it I think and having working with children I think I'd be fascinated to hear your opinion on it yeah, yeah. you initially honest, said the title yeah. I was like that's uh, that's pretty bizarre. Yeah, the, the central boy is called Courgette or Zucchini. It's a French, it's a French okay. film. It is it? a French yeah, film. Yeah. Oh, wow. Although one comment I was going to make about it, Paul, is that the um, I watched uh, sort of against what I would usually do. I watched the American voiced or, right, okay. or the English language voiced version of, of this film, and the voice performances by people like Nick Offerman really. I watched the English language. Really, version, really yeah. good. Yeah. Really, really strong. Yeah. Um, and definitely don't take anything away, and even maybe add uh, some things for. A, for a Western audience to the film, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think as a, as a teacher, someone that works with kids, watch it because it touches on some really, really dark issues, like as in like unwanted child to. Like, I think one of the kids' is, is, mother's basically lost to alcoholism. I think, mm. isn't it? And like, it's it's, it's savagely wow, okay. dark issues, but, but it presents but sort of open hearted yeah, and, and lyrical. Honestly, like, and, I would, light, I would, I would, quite, if if I had say an eight year old child. I would sit down with them and happily let I, them watch it and then they would come to me with questions and actually the film allows you to go actually well they've seen it so they have some understanding of it it's, it's brilliant it's yeah really and I brilliant. would just shoehorn in there Jack um, in this or for anyone listening really a, a companion piece to this could be that film Etre et Avoir which I reviewed earlier in the year it's a documentary from now probably 15 years ago but is this it's incredible uh, exploration of what it takes to educate young people so yeah both of these things but yeah my life as a courgette is superb um and i would recommend it to everyone far and wide so check it out paul number six what right got? number six we're having a break after this aren't we before we are indeed yes yeah. um i just wanted to make that clear to the listeners at home because it's quite a, 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 an interval free episode but yes we're having a break after this all right number grandpa six. The, le- <laughs> the listeners at home these are podcasts people watch them like in their gym watch them okay watch them okay i torpedoed my yeah. own point my granddad <laughs> the point is really the toilet (laughs) that's really the point Um, so yes this is a film that this alright I'm going to be frank from 6 through to 1 was even more difficult than than the rest of it so get to it man what's number 6 Okja Okay. Oh, just number six. Uh, it was just, it was just so much fun, so much um, zany. And when I use the word zany, I mean it in a good. It can be used in a bad term. I mean in a good way. Um, Okja was just incredible. It was, it was so much fun. It's exactly what Netflix should be doing, which is funding uh, art house directors which is giving our house directors money to do stuff they wouldn't necessarily normally have the budget to do. Um, it was so much fun. It has made me almost... It's, it's almost made me vegetarian. <laughs> almost. It's close. I think if I watch it twice, I'll probably... Every time... If I watch it again, I'll probably not eat meat for three weeks again, which is what I managed to do. Um, but yeah, it makes well, me com- reconsider... Combine that with watching, watching Raw, and then you're, yeah. you're yeah. done for, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, um, but it's just it's just incredibly heartfelt film. Um, also, I, I, love, I love the fact... I love the fact you can have this, like... Uh, basically... Um, well, I'll sum up with Okja is the fact that I work, I work in, in an AV shop 
um, which I think is, is pretty much common knowledge anyway. And Okja is a film that we use to demo because because it's got Dolby Vision on it. So I demo at Dolby Vision Netflix. Um, and the the reason I say that is because because I put it on for, for sometimes families come in. And I'm like, oh Okja, and then they put it on and the kids get and I'm like, no, no, the kids can't watch this. <laughs> like, do not let the kids watch Okja. Like, don't let the kids see Jake Gyllenhaal's pulled up socks. Yeah, that's exactly exactly what it is. But no, it's but it it, it, it balances it balances like almost Disney level of cuteness with with the with the Okja character with some really really bleak and, and neededly really dark scenes yeah um, yeah, and, the, yeah the slaughterhouse scene at the end you're not going to scrub and I, I, I still stand by the fact that I remember and I said when I when I watched it I like and it, it's just quite nice to watch a film on Netflix um which I maybe would have rather seen on the big screen, which is something that we'll probably discuss more in the new year because Annihilation, I think, has just got a Netflix release and we might not see that in the cinema. Maybe I would have liked to have seen Octa. I would have liked to have seen Octa at the cinema. So that's an interesting one. Do you see where I'm coming from now where you go, actually, could it have been better on the big screen? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, this, this takes the title, I think, of my best uh, or favourite Netflix original, um, at least. It's close fiction. between that and Mudbound, I think. Uh, film. Yeah, I think Octa would be number one, Mudbound number two, and I don't feel at home in this world anymore. But none of them made my top ten. No. Although I did enjoy it a lot, and I basically agree with that thing you said. So, yeah, it could have easily been on, on my list. Yeah. Um, number six for me, Paul, is... Uh, Park Chanuk doing uh, I wrote here Park Chanuk brings sexy back uh, it is <laughs> the, the Handmaiden uh, damn son yeah agreed The, the Handmaiden <laughs> makes number 6 because it's uh, yeah well all the sexy stuff as well as like a whole load of backstabbing double crossing just before you get into that can I can I interject with I, I read I was reading comments on uh, I think this had come up on the Guardians films of the year list and one comment one comment I read was that he could hear the stretching of denim in the cinema screen <laughs> I'm thoroughly put off thoroughly put off uh, yes fair play to that if that guy who made that comment is listening well played it made yeah, me laugh a lot but yeah sorry yeah. Pete anyway the other handmaiden yes I'm gonna throw up so um, yeah so yeah all kinds of shallow breathing uh, in the cinema I guess and also uh, on screen in the handmaiden uh, set designed to die for as you come to expect from Park Chanuk. like this is gonna sound so nerdy but like like scene transitions to die for my word Park Chanuk knows how to switch from one scene to another beautiful beautiful stuff uh, movements of the camera that shouldn't be in a film as pulpy as this the handmaiden terrific um, it's yeah I said it, it's a film so delicious that you could just swallow it whole and that sounds weirdly sexual and that deservedly so for a film like the handmaiden if you haven't seen it see it now uh, we will be back very shortly to get right into our top fives from five through one uh, right after this. So we are back, Paul. Here we are, Pete. Exciting. This is really exciting, man, because this is where we get to tell the world why they are wrong and we are right about which five films <laughs> were the best of 2017. I like forcing my opinions on other people, and I will do that for the next 20 or so. Well, minutes. we've got this show, and other yeah. some people haven't. So there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
Uh, do you want to start? Shall I start? Who's going first on number five? Um, I'll start, shall I? Okay, go ahead. Um, this was my number one um, in the mid-year rundown, and this is uh, Olivia Sayas. I think that's how you pronounce his name, isn't it? Wow. Cheers, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia Sayas. That, uh, that was to welcome Olivia Sayas yes, into the discussion. Which is, uh, which is his film, Personal Shopper. Oh, boom. Same number five. Really? Bring, bring oh, it right. up here. There we go. There we go. So we've, we've, we've joined, I think, twice on this now. Yeah. Once on the worst once on the best um, yeah personal shopper um, yeah I just thought it was incredible I just think it, it, it's, it's very different I think Pete set this set up personal shopper now we're on the same film we yeah well. okay so yeah we talked about it before so I'll keep it brief uh, Kristen Stewart is the central character again um, here reuniting with Olivia Sayas to prove that basically Klaus Sils Maria was not a fluke uh, this time she is as you might guess a personal shopper I believe she's working in Paris she's working for um, a, a woman with sort of bottomless pits of money and her job is to go and find um, and well not find pick up elegant gowns and sometimes make some choices about what will be selected uh, at the same time she also has to sort of travel back to the UK at one point she goes on a train um, and we get a really long sequence where she's just texting back and forth with someone who may be alive, may be dead the reason she's sticking around in Paris for, to end this little summary is that her brother has passed away but she believes that the ghost of her brother may be somewhere in the ether and they may be able to connect at some point or other it's almost like I need to say and here's Jack with a clip yeah, but, but no. we're not going to do that <laughs> yeah. Paul uh, Yeah. so you liked it, I liked it um, the technological stuff I think has divided some people because yeah we, that whole text message scene that I think we both really really liked I did is actually, yeah. is actually a lot of people a lot of people it's their main criticism of the film I think is that long texting scene the, the thing I but, feel Paul I want to sort of force this in is that um, a director that people always point to for um, putting people in the awkward position of confronting the realities of sort of the uh, mundane existence that we might have or, or the struggles of people in real time is one Michael Haneker yes. if you think back to things like funny games and the way that the home invasion and kidnap sequence culminates in two grown adults tied on chairs struggling for what seems like an eternity without a cut and you then jump forward to this I think that it's so interesting that this year we had Happy End where Michael yeah. Haneker is pushing the way that we use modern technology into the film into his film Happy End in like a very realistic way and Olivia Sayas is doing that as well and people want to throw stones at that the truth is we all walk around sit on trains sit on planes like zombies staring at our screens 100%, yeah. and feeling yeah. like an emotional reaction from the things that are so cropping up on that therefore, space you, so. have to, you have to reflect that in cinema because yeah. cinema is a ref- should be a reflection and of Kristen human Stewart is a good enough yeah. actress to pull that Kristen off Stewart is, is, Kristen Stewart is superb in this and it, I think that as much as Olivia says is, is a great director and I think there's some very very nice visual elements to this film just incredible visual elements in this film I think the film is carried by by Christian Stewart's central performance. And I have to say, I was... I'm late to the Christian Stewart party that you've been trying to make me join for a Did number of years. Did you see Carter Sills-Marie? No. Oh, I've, it's, it's sitting in cellophane wrap over there because I picked it up in FOP in Bristol last week, in fact, because you've been talking about it and I'd seen Personal Shopper. But yeah, I'm very, very late to the Christian Stewart party and I shouldn't have been. And I apologise if you're listening, Christian Stewart, which I don't <laughs> think you are. You might be. But I apologise to you, Pete. I'm very late to the party. Her performance is incredible in this. Yep. Um, and it is, I'd say it's it's a probably 50-50 split of uh, Olivia Sayers' visuals and Christian Stewart's performance. But it's... Uh, 
again, it'll be a divisive film. Like Ghost Story, not it's not it's not a film for everyone by any yeah, stretch, and, and, um, and, so and last, it will require some patience. But. Last thing on my uh, Kristen Stewart love-in for the year is um, we know a number of people, Paul, who are in the acting game and put together show reels. Show reels are important to yeah. show people you know what you're capable of, capable of. Clips from the work that you've done so far. How about the show reel from Kristen Stewart? Yeah, you know that girl from Twilight who just mopes about the show reel where you outact Juliette Binoche for two hours I mean it's Clouds of Sils Maria is what I'm talking about of course which I and, haven't seen so and, and this, it, this is the level that she's at and I'll come on actually I said the last for my loving and it's not the end of my loving there is one more thing I have to talk about in a future part of this list but anyway yeah personal shopper fantastic move on Paul what have we got at number four uh, I've got Moonlight at number four um, again I, I find with a lot of with a lot of film of the year list the, the stuff that's released earlier in the year does tend to get overlooked um, and Moonlight for my sins having bought the Blu-ray is not a film I've seen since I saw it in the cinema but it's still one that really really sticks with me and I think as I said um, earlier in the year that the more I think about Moonlight the more I grow to like it um, it's just an incredibly heartfelt film and an incredibly important film as well like, mm. I mean where do you stand on Moonlight it's, it's... I stand somewhere on this list sir uh, okay so it's just, yeah I just think it's an incredibly incredibly well put together film um, I think I, I still think if I have a slight criticism of it it's that the the kind of middle teenage section um, I'd like to have seen more of that character um, and maybe a bit more of the uh, there's, there's certain scenes I would like to have seen a bit more of but if one of my only criticisms of the film is like to, I'd like to have seen more of it then it's doing something then it's doing something right incredibly poignant incredibly important film um, and it's, it's important for the fact that it makes it. you know the fact that you've got a, a black gay gangster character in a film is incredible and hopefully because it's about a black gangster hopefully black gangsters will actually watch this film and it might open some eyes into the fact that every it's okay for everyone to be gay <laughs> like it's not a problem so yeah in, incredible filmmaking um, and I very much look forward to what Barry Jenkins does next absolutely yeah I'll, I'll briefly mention it again in, in probably a couple of minutes time but my number four Paul is um, uh, yeah the, the end of absolute real end of talking about Kristen Stewart for this year uh, <laughs> which is Certain Women um, Certain I've not women, seen this yet so that's intriguing Certain Women from my perspective anyway was basically a formula that was never going to be anything other than divine because you had <laughs> Laura Dern and Michelle Williams and Kristen Stewart with director Kelly Reichardt I mean I imagine you probably saw this before it even came, before it was even released I, I, in your mind this is like your dream I film I genuinely think Paul that when I saw that this film had been sort of green lit or it had been it was in post production maybe I think I almost like almost cried just just the casting alone it, it, just so much great in one film but yeah uh, I don't know I could go on and on for ages about certain women it won't be for everyone they are uh, three really four loosely connected stories not in that hammy way that was very popular in the sort of late 90s and early noughties but yes. um, in a much more delicate way these stories interweave with one another uh, at the centre perhaps of those stories is a 
romance of sorts between Kristen Stewart and a uh, native American girl who share this um, horseback ride uh, from an, I think English language class maybe is it a night class that Kristen Stewart is teaching um, maybe it's law yeah I think it's law uh, educational law um, they share a, a, a horseback ride on the, the native American girl's horse and it's one of the most beautiful things I've seen in a long time oh man like certain women's fantastic I, I mean we will talk uh, more about I'm sure for, for, for the future and, and we have already talked about uh, Last Jedi and like in Last Jedi when I saw Laura Dern I was just like everything's fine everything's fine Laura Dern's here so yeah certain Wrong. women uh, uh, amazing amazing beautiful achingly achingly beautiful and um, I love it very much Paul what have you got at number three well at number three I think actually no not what have I got at number what three what have I got at number three oh Jack's been here the whole time the whole time you have listeners Jack's been here so, I have I've been listening so yeah. before we got into the top five but before Jack had joined the podcast he'd never seen a single film no so, none at all never so but yeah, before we got into the countdown, we agreed that when we got to the top three, uh, our own uh, Jack Attack, Jack Mills, was going to come on board and do. It's actually Mills Attack. Sorry, Jack. that's fine. If a Jack Attack, Jack Attack is. Uh, you don't yeah. get to choose what you call Jack. Yeah, no, that's all right. Um, Sorry. Yeah, but... it wouldn't be bullying, would it? <laughs> <laughs> Enough of that. Let's get to. We're going to do our third. top three. We're yes. all going to be involved. We're all going to do our top three. Jack, yeah. do you, because you're, you're an addition now to our, our twosome over here, are you going to go first? Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go. I'll happily, I'll go first. Uh, so the film that I've picked it is Gifted. Uh, oh, I almost, oh, I almost totally forgot about this film, but it was good. I liked it. Yeah. Uh, so this film... Top um, three, it. Intriguing. I Carry did. On. I did. Uh, so Chris Evans is plays his uncle um, that basically has guardianship over a young girl who's actually his niece. Um, his sister has passed away. Um, and she is excellent at mass. Absolutely incredible at mass. And she's like seven years old. But for me, what this film sort of gave was that Chris Evans had no idea what he was doing. Um, he took on this uh, as an actor or as his character. As a character, you know, <laughs> he uh, he took on this young girl, um, wasn't a parent himself, and sort of tried to give her the best childhood she could have, knowing full well that she was probably gonna go through exactly what her mother had gone through her mother being gifted as well um, and it the film just for me the performances I I thoroughly enjoyed so for me that's my yeah, top three I remember it as being a good film Jack I think it suffered a little bit in my mind because unless I'm mistaken Paul didn't we see this or wouldn't we have seen this around the same time as Book of Henry so it was like an overdose of preternaturally gifted children I think it was even the I same think, week I think I, maybe I think I remember, if I remember rightly review wise I think I enjoyed um, Gifted more than you did mm. um, and I, I I liked it but thought it was a little bit contrived but I can imagine Jack doing what you do working with children day in day out I imagine oh, someone some so, yeah someone who works thing. someone who works as a someone who works as a teacher or a teaching assistant um, would take a, a lot more from it than I did because I don't work with children so um, yeah no I rem- I really liked it really well you work it. as a gay black gangster and that's why you like Moonlight so much <laughs> <laughs> what have you got number three um, Paul? what <laughs> what have I got number three um, and I, I'm, I'm going to reiterate this like this 
this top three is so close to being just joint. And do you know what? After when you dropped in, whatever you dropped in last year about like a long form TV series or something, I was tempted to go, do you know what? I haven't got a number one. I'm just going to have a joint top three. But I am going to commit two or three, two and a one. So at number three, is a film that we discussed earlier, which is The Handmaiden. Park Chang looks The Handmaiden. Um, I don't really know what else to say from what's already been said, to be honest, but visually the film is astounding. The plot twist is fantastic. I imagine, obviously, lessened if you have read the book that it's based on. And I also love the fact that Park Chan-wook's taken a book from, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, a Welsh author, mm. <laughs> um, and transposed it so well to sort of a, a cross between Korean and Japanese society. Um, it looks incredible. Patricia Highsmith? Yeah. Is that the name? Yeah, yeah. Patricia Highsmith, yeah. Uh, it looks incredible. The um, It's... It's erotically charged, without a shadow of a doubt. Oh yeah, no, I still want the drop it, of you it, saying erotically it, charged. It was erotically charged. Um, it just, for me, I think one of the, one of the many reasons it works so well is it kind of it almost it's, it's like it's almost it almost it's almost made it okay to make an erotic thriller again. Like you use the term erotic thriller, and normally people Shannon just Tweed, laugh mate. at it. Yeah, Shannon, yeah, Shannon Tweed. Tweed, or like late night Channel Five, or like the Red Shoe Diaries. I've obviously never watched um, but David you know Dikovny yeah, yeah, yeah exactly there, you remember the Red Shoe you know that kind of thing when you, when you say like erotic thriller you kind of think cheap like trashy rubbish like Shannon Tweed films and what's quite nice is actually Park Chanuk has, has taken has actually made a very good erotic thriller that isn't ashamed to be erotic but it is also a fantastically made film and I think that's that's great like genuinely great like yeah. why not there's no reason you can't embrace that and do it well and I would sort like, of it's, it's a side of the human psyche why not embrace it and do it well I, I like, would attempt to sort of push on people as well uh, Parchinuk's film first for a mm. sort of similar reasons is this, yeah. this sort of uh, vampire tale that is very much charged with, with many of the same things that The Handmaiden is so yeah, I, yeah. I, well as you know I really like that film too um, shall we oh I need to get on to number three well I don't need to, to say much three. about number three Paul because uh, my number three is a film you've already talked about it is Barry Jenkins' film Moonlight um, yeah I mean what can I say that hasn't been said already on this show and elsewhere um, Moonlight in, in Moonlight uh, brown boys look blue uh, it's stuck with me for the entire year from its very what early January release perhaps uh, because it's that good yeah I mean that's why it stuck around yeah, 100% yeah. it, it, it was no on my half year yeah. chart yeah. and I noticed you and know, how nice was it the Oscar upset was genuinely lovely I was it really because was because La La Land was solid but it was nothing near the way no, not even I don't think about La La Land anything like no. as much as I think no. about about Moonlight um, and for me Paul you mentioned and I agree with you about the, the relative relative weakness of the middle third yeah the strength and the power power of the last third of Moonlight is it's really something like yeah. those, those performances particularly in the, the the shared car ride and in the diner sequence the I diner mean, sequence oh. will stay with you for, for many years to come in a way that I'm not Jeff, sure have you seen Moonlight? I have seen, have seen Moonlight, yeah, okay. have what, seen what, Moonlight. what were your thoughts as a... well we'll get to that soon so, oh, 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 yeah. oh so yeah th- that's my number three anyway uh, back round to you Jack that was number three for me Moonlight what have you got at number two uh, so yes uh, this film no it's not Moonlight oh wow okay okay well, uh, spoiler warning <laughs> spoiler warning yeah absolutely um, so for me uh, what makes number two is Okja which Paul has had on his list this mm-hmm. evening yeah and I think 
from what Paul has said I would totally agree I said a bit of it twice so, yes um, yeah. <laughs> absolutely um, yeah and I watched this the first time around with with a vegetarian as well and just the look on her face said it all and uh, for me I did feel like I should probably be a vegetarian but I'm not so it's expensive isn't it? it's that expensive problem, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah but this was just it was, no, just, just, it was super, a loving yeah. film all, the energy all around well. it's so the much energy it's just everything. the energy about Okja is, is yeah. cont- like, it's, like some of the set pieces the big chase scene where he kind of is, tries to escape yeah it's just so the, much the fun the chase scene has yeah. to be one of the greatest like feats of sort of cinematic choreography of the entire year oh yeah like, without and, and yeah, yeah. the fact that this is also uh, a Netflix original it's on a streaming and we've well. had some I think that's fantastic year, yeah yeah we from have. that stable we have, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree yeah. it's a, a really strong example of what a platform like Netflix can do yeah. and put funding towards and Paul I think yeah. your, your point was, was a good one where it's like on the one hand I think all three of us would have pre- appreciated a major cinematic release for Okja uh, yeah. amongst other films maybe but definitely for Okja but then again it probably wouldn't have. We wouldn't got have one. seen it. That's the problem. So yeah, we certainly wouldn't have seen. We certainly wouldn't have seen it in Cheltenham. It might have. It would have come to the watershed in Bristol, as an example, which is a cinema that we've been writing a lot more as I saw the Florida project there. Um, but yeah, so but it wouldn't have come to Cineworld in Cheltenham. So yeah, it's a difficult. It's a different kind of structure. I would have liked to see it on the big screen, but it wouldn't have made it. So yeah, cool. just superb. Cool. Yeah. Good choice, Jack. Good choice. Well done. Round to you, Paul, <laughs> for number two. What have you got? Um, this is again this, I'm going to say this is so tight and I think maybe why this I, I kind of want to go joint n- number one but you can't but, I'm, but I can't and you're not going to let me do it and maybe if it hadn't been for my number one film of last year this might have been my number one film of this year this is uh, Sean Baker's The Florida Project um, as my number two although I kind of want this to be joint number one I'm just going to put that out there it's very very tight uh, Florida Project was just just superb just just an, an incredible 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 film um, it had uh, for me a career best villain not a yeah, a career best Willem Dafoe, to be honest, because Platoon was so long ago when Willem Dafoe... Like, Willem Dafoe is always value for money, don't get me wrong. He's always value for money. And he's cast a lot of the times because he is value for money, because he is Willem Dafoe. Um, so, so actually, him turn up and him not phone it in was amazing. Like, genuinely amazing to see him not just, just phone in a performance. And then you've got the the, the, childish, the, the child performance from... Um, I think it's Brooklyn Kimberly Pierce or, or Kimberly Brooklyn Pierce. I, I, mixing up a little bit but which is just such such an emotional film such a heartfelt film um and the lead the the lead like that the lead mother in it is a, is an actress that he did that Sean Baker discovered on Instagram and it's just it's just so true to life so true to life and I talked I talked about the plot in more details I think last in the last episode I think was when I'd just seen it but it's just such a powerful film and I think the last again the, the last 10 minutes just had me in tears and was so 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 clever so clever and again I I want to be able to do a, a podcast where we just talk about the end mm. but we can't because I'm not I, willing to do it I'm not going to spoil it we haven't seen it but it is yeah, such we, a we powerful can, film I mean 2018 yeah. could bring with it spoiler specials of our show perhaps yeah but, yeah but yeah, yeah I, for, for my eternal discredit I haven't seen the beginning middle or end of this film because I haven't <laughs> yet seen The Florida Project and I'm really keen because you've said all this stuff Paul that, that makes it sound like you know for, for someone like me and, and yourself obviously who had so much to gush about when it came to the Andrew 
Andrea Arnold film uh, American Honey uh, American Honey thank you that, that we put number one last year that this is yeah right up my alley so yeah it's a perfect it's a perfect companion piece to American Honey it, it, it feels like it might have been inspired Amer- by American Honey and but, that's fine but does but it have that of, does it have that soundtrack with you nope and stuff like that it does it. still ha- <laughs> it does have a very good soundtrack in fairness but it's but the guy that directed this directed um, as I mentioned I think last week the film called Tangerine which I haven't caught up with yet which I need to shot on iPhones right? yes yeah, which yeah. was shot on iPhones um, but no I think in, in fairness I think um, if it wasn't for my love of a particular genre which my next film is of then certainly this film for me is a match of American Honey and that's that's a massive compliment so Florida Project find it so number two for me um, again a film that has stood the test of time it came out in the UK very early in the year I know it would have been on a lot of 2016 charts but we are as we said before a UK podcast my number two is Tony Erdman uh, Tony Erdman that high okay interesting that high interesting. yeah it, it, Tony Erdman for me is like this superbly well observed portrayal of like dynamics between family members it's uh, a kind of essay on growing older on ambition on aspiration on self-doubt and self-loathing there's a lot at work in Tony Erdman at the same time it's genuinely laugh out loud funny at certain points in the movie it also has 2017's best karaoke sequence in it uh, <laughs> even better than the one that we mentioned uh, pretty recently oh, in happy end yeah in happy end yeah um, was at, it can i stop you there though you can if you did have we to. watch it in twenty sixteen, in twenty seventeen, there's yes. a re-release of a twenty. It's a twenty seventeen. It's definitely a twenty seventeen film. Really, I mean, I'll double check this now because you've just jacked up my review. I didn't mean to. Jack, I didn't mean to jack up review. <laughs> but uh, lest we forget, Paul, that my uh, film at uh, the halfway mark of twenty seventeen, my film of the year yeah, was, was a film was from twenty sixteen, yeah. uh, which was um, Patterson, yeah. Yeah. which is fantastic, but doesn't qualify. So let me just uh, in real time. It's great podcasting. Yeah. I'm gonna yeah. gonna prove my point if I can or prove myself to be an absolute moron uh, yeah 3rd of February 2017 UK I rest my case fair enough <laughs> so yeah uh, to finish off my little uh, bits of, uh, of thoughts on this film yeah it's really funny it's really poignant it made me think because it, a couple of people in my life and I won't mention who they are uh, remind me somewhat of the Sandra Huller figure who is um, reaching uh, for something that may or may not probably not make her happy or him well, cheers, happy Much appreciated. in the future Paul <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, and on the, on the other hand, the father figure in this film um, is not played to be the hero of the piece by any means. The guy is flawed. The guy is also lost, as we all are to a greater or lesser degree. And towards the very end of the film, one of my scenes of the year is the sequence in which Sandra Huller is trying on the comic, incredible. jokey yes. teeth outside on her own with her own thoughts and seeing if she can basically jump the gap between her own self-seriousness and the world of whimsy that her dad thinks he wants to live in so yeah Tony Urban is fantastic and weird and interesting and funny and you should check it out if you haven't so far and I think it's streaming at the moment but I think it will be yeah I think it's the Netflix streaming it's certainly out on retail so it must be streaming Uh, Jack attack your number one wow yeah it's got to this point Uh, number ones Uh, I will play a clip first 
and then I will have a chat about it. So it's our own. What you looking at me like that for? What, man? Come on, you just drove down here? Yeah. Like you was just, you was just on one. And you hit the highway. So uh, the clip that you just heard there was, of course, from uh, Moonlight, which has appeared in both of your lists, of course. Um, This, if I remember correctly, made my top five in the halfway point. Mm -hmm. Jack, can I interject here? I feel very proud of you. I feel very proud of the fact that your number one film of the year was Moonlight, because I think before you'd met us and before you got involved in the podcast, I think it would have been Transformers the last night had you not... Oh, what? Come on. ...as us joined your life. I think I've got more (laughs) than that, mate. Can I I both... Can I both... (laughs) All right, yeah. Can I both interrupt and jokingly patronise you, Jack? Yeah, of course. That's fine. That's that's what's going to happen, so... Tell us, tell us where I apologise. Serious question, Jack. Did you see this in a cinema or did you see it since it went on home release and stuff? Home release, right? So I saw this on home release. Um, So yeah, this came out very early on UK release in in Mm. this year. Um, And the clip that you heard was um, the third from the third part of the film yeah um, with the best Kev- part the, the best part yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely with yeah. Kevin and Chiron if I've pronounced that right Chiron Chiron you're, you're the pronunciation Chiron. expert Pete, yeah. so. Chiron uh, someone will probably oh yeah can I just just backtrack for a second and just like get in the way of Jack's review to say Park Chanuk there's no W sound carry on fantastic <laughs> <laughs> thanks for making us aware of that yeah um, this was just an excellent film of Someone that you wouldn't normally watch figuring out his sexuality, and I thought for that to be brought to the big screen was superb. That's all I've got to say. No, oh, it's an incredible film. Yeah, fair. incredible film. And, and it's going to yeah. stand the test of time, isn't it? Yes, I, mean, I think yeah. it really. Five will. years from now, we'll still go back and watch this movie, and it's not going to. And see again, that moment, that, that moment, that Oscars. moment, that moment at the Oscars where it's like, no, it's moonlight. And for once, I think we were like, yes, absolutely deserved. Like, should not have been our land. It absolutely should have been me. It wasn't right. and that moment, uh, the you know, first Oscar awarded to a Muslim as well from this film. Mm, I think that's, that's he true. He might be yeah. onto something. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you tell us, mate. You tell I th- us. I think that's what, yeah, I've, from what I've read. Um, but yeah, let's move on. Who's going next? Okay, right. Oh, next. Okay, cool. The nickel is for the colonial ships, closest any of them or any of us is going to get to that grand life off-world. So come on now. What sort do you have in mind? Because I got all kinds. No, no, no. I'm not buying. No, no, no. This is just my game and I play it fair. No, no, I mean, bigger than you. So, my number one film of the year is Blade Runner 2049. Whoa. Blade Runner 2049, I just, it just blew, it just blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. I'm a massive sci-fi fan anyway, without a shadow of a doubt. I'm a massive fan of the original film. 
Um, weirdly enough, it's a film that I wasn't actually on the podcast on for the review because I was away getting married. Um, but Blade Runner 2049 is probably the second best thing that happened to me this year after me getting married. And, I, 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 and they were connected, sir. 100% stand by that, yes. They were connected. And they were, were connected. They so Blade Runner 2049 is an incredibly shot film. It, I, I love the fact it brings it brings Art House to an IMAX. It may mean we never get Art House to an IMAX again because it massively commercially underperformed, which is a shame. But for me, it delivered everything a Blade Runner sequel should deliver, even though no one wanted a Blade Runner sequel when they announced it, which is a fair point, to be honest. Everyone went, what the fuck is going on here? Why are they doing a Blade Runner sequel? And then someone said, oh, Denny Villeneuve's doing it. And we're like, okay, we'll, we'll have him. We'll definitely have him to do it. There's there's no doubt. Like, okay, if anyone can do this, after Arrival, I was like, this man can do it. And by Jove, did he deliver. Like, by Jove. By Jove, he delivered. <laughs> so you don't want me to call you Grant. You said by Jove. Yeah. Uh, but look, I so... The, 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 the podcast I wanted to be on so much as the Blade Runner 2049 one, and I couldn't be on it. No, oh, I missed yeah. out. So I missed you? out. I missed out. I missed out reviewing my and, number and one you know film what, of the year. you even more, Paul. On right. that episode that I did with Mark Brennan, uh, I spent quite a lot of time talking about the possibly problematic relationship that it has with women. So instead yes. of just lording yeah, 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 over yeah. all of the great stuff... Lording over, over the fact that that problematic relationship the film has with women was entirely reflective on society as we stand at the moment, which is a point that Mark brought up. And actually, Mark, if you're out there, you did ring both me and Pete to say, I'm really nervous that I sounded like a really horrible person. Mark, you didn't. It was an entirely valid point to bring up. And I will hasten to say, I thought Mark did very well on that episode, even though he has said he was quite nervous yeah, on it. But then, but, but then the weird hologram threesome still yeah. completely unnerved. Necessary. The weird hologram season. No, it looked incredible. Oh, it looked visually, incredible. Visually, okay, that's it was fine, incredible. That's but fine. anyway, look, we're not into that now. We're into <laughs> why it's my film of the year. There's, there's two reasons for my film of the year. Three reasons for my film of the year, I would say. A, I love sci-fi. B, wow, I didn't realise we needed a Blade Runner sequel. We got one, and it was superb. The pacing matched the first film perfectly. I think there is a massive... There is To people, to what I would say, a lot of people out there, there is a misconception that Blade Runner is this kind of like action sci-fi thriller it's not it's a very slow paced very well measured kind of detective film that is in some in many ways a study of what, of what it means to be human and certainly has inspired certainly ins- was a heavy inspiration on Ghost in the Shell um, and weirdly enough Blade Runner 2049 coming in the same year as Ghost in the Shell reminded me of why I got blinded by the IMAX qualities of Ghost in the Shell and why it wasn't actually that good a film um, was it better than 2049 though? No, <laughs> I'm just asking it to be a contrarian. But, I don't no. care. But, but but no, and I, I just think it, you know. And so I did. It's not a sequel I realised I needed or wanted. And then when I saw it, I was like, no, you've done so well. You've matched. You've matched the pace of the original. You've matched the feel of the original. You've. It, it does genuinely ask questions of, of what it means to be human. And let's just not. Let's just not. Let's not. Let's just cut to it. It looked fucking incredible. Mm. Right, Roger Deakins, Roger Deakins, and sci-fi. Oh my life! Like it just looked incredible. And I tell you, I tell you what else. Do you know what? In any other context, it might not have made number one. The other reason it made number one on my films of this year list is because I sat there and I watched it on my stag do with a group. 
with my closest group of friends. I was uh, there without as well, a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, yeah, I was there as yeah. well. Jack would have been there if he'd known him a bit longer, but we only met earlier in the year, so apologies. Oh yeah, that's, but, yeah. I think that's. But I don't mean anything, anything against <laughs> you at all. But no, just to sit there in the context that I watched it on with my closest group of friends, I would say at least half of that group are very, very into their films, if not more. So to watch it with that group of people and the context, like it was superb, and the the the, the setting I watched it in was fantastic, and Blade Runner twenty four. And this was, was, the, was the, incredible. You talk about the setting. I mean, it was the what's that called? Four XR or whatever the hell. So that yeah, screen. so there was there was also there was some there was some discussion about whether we'd see it in IMAX in Cheltenham or whether we'd watch it in four DX in Bristol. Um, and it got heated in places because I'm, I'm that geeky. Um, and ultimately, do you know what? I think the sound and probably picture quality, not necessarily size of screen, was probably better in the four DX in Bristol than it was in the Cheltenham IMAX in Venice. I think so. Um, the, the, the show. Because our IMAX is, is pretty yeah. small, so yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah. And I mean, I know this is very small and doesn't necessarily impact on what you or I or anyone thinks of the film too much. The seats in that place, man! Wow, yes. I've never sat in a more comfortable cinema seat in my entire no. life. Incredible, but no, but, but just, just going back to the film, like it, like it is, it is like if you're if you're a proper hardcore sci-fi fan it's like it may as well be your wet dream of a film just come true like and again I, I will, I'm going to repeat de- deliberately repeating myself here it's not the sequel you thought you wanted but when you watch it you're like oh wow that works well it's that it's with all that in mind that I've given it the one of the very highest honours and awarded it my number 18 position <laughs> <laughs> which sounds really damning but like I, I still in your top it's 20, another though. one though Paul where it's lower on my list but I don't really disagree with anything you said. Like no, but, I could yeah, but pick it's been, but it's been such a strong year of films. That's yeah. the problem as well. Like, it, yeah, like, and it's yeah. like we said at the outset, Paul, when we started this trawl through the top ten, that the ranking is fundamentally subjective. I mean, you're well, yeah, going again, to- it's context. It's context in which I've seen it. Like it was my stag do. I've seen it with all like with what twelve of my best friends in the whole world that I've known for years and years and years, and I've yeah. sat there watching it with. So yeah, with with the, with that context in mind, and I remember it was. Um, it was a friend of mine, and I'm name checking here. A friend of mine, the bear, because he's 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 ten pound lighter and an inch shorter than the Undertaker, which is why he's called the bear. And we came out of the cinema, and he looked at me and he was like, "What did you think?" And I was like, "It was fucking incredible." And he was like, "Thank God for that. Otherwise, your stag weekend would have been ruined." So no, yeah, it is in context of how you see it. Those things, you know, obviously, those things come into play. Your, yeah. your mood in when and you watch your film comes into play when like you rate it. Yeah, it. Of course, it how does, it yeah. connects with also yeah. like experiences that you've gone through in your life, and I'm not talking. Like like really difficult things or emotional things in the case of yeah, like but look at Monster Calls but still, uh, still but Amongst the Calls is higher up than I said it might have been because I've experienced no, losing I, someone's cancer I, I, so yeah, exactly I'm agree with you yeah, but yeah. Like what I mean is something like Blade Runner also your relationship that pre-existed with the original Blade Runner yeah. informs your appreciation of that film as well but right? weirdly enough weirdly enough um, it's I've watched all five versions of that film with my dad when he was still around Nerd. so yeah so, but again but again there's that emotional attachment to having Blade Runner being a, a film that my dad introduced me to so yeah there is yeah yeah, absolutely but yeah Blade Runner 2049 my film of the year I've got no shame in admitting it I thought it was incredible and it needs to come out on home release as soon as possible so uh, to round things off uh, my number one pick will be preceded by a clip this is not how it's supposed to work we're supposed to make decisions together can't you understand them? Yes. 
So why am I the only one making them? Because I don't want what you want. Because you want to stay here? Mm-hmm. Why? So, uh, my number one film, and I don't know how much of Paul's uh, descent made its way onto this I think part. a little bit might have done. I think, I, I think you might have heard me just fire Jack Mills, uh, because he made some sarcastic comment about me and being enthusiastic about Blade Runner 2049. About your favourite film so, um, of the year. So, yeah, going into 2018, we might have a new producer. There's a vacancy. Apply. Um, right. Um, I'm going to keep quiet. I'm going to get to talking about that clip that you just heard, because my number one film of 2017 is a film that Paul's already talked about, and that is a ghost story now oh um, number one now yes it is number one I will tell you for why Uh, this film is uh, many many things but it is thought provoking it's moving it's intoxicating and it is a phenomenal achievement on a shoestring budget from a director who essentially worked with Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck in between projects for like what base rate pay in one location and put together a film that spans what eternity um just on that alone this is an impressive achievement but also i want to say a few more things i guess about um a ghost story and why it sort of impacted me uh, as you were saying paul about 2049 blade runner 2049 it all depends on context and it depends on who you're with and what you're doing and blah 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 in my case i watched it for the first time on my own although i think i ate snacks really loudly in the cinema yeah, we we'll say on, we say we watched it on our own we were in the same screen here well, when i'm with you i always feel like i'm on my own well yeah because you eat snacks so i have to sit three <laughs> rows back honestly honestly you nearly ruined the fucking film for me but well, somehow it's your number one film it's good you'll be watching it twice because you couldn't have enjoyed it with the amount of snacks you ate in the first screening well there <laughs> <laughs> there goes my my elegant review of uh, a ghost story. Um, yeah, it's a film that like lays itself wide open to being accused of being pretentious. Like it's the most obvious example of a film that people would go totally, oh, yeah. pretentious yeah. shit. Yeah. Like the the aspect ratio looks like an Instagram photo yeah. as far as even as far as having curved corners. But intentionally um, so. That's no, 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 absolutely yeah. intentionally so, Paul. But like this is the kind of thing that people will slam from the gate and. Having said that, it goes ahead and tells you this story that pulls you right in. I mean, not only the pretension uh, accusation, but the fact that Casey Affleck is sort of public enemy number one for certain people, it seems like, uh, around things that have happened in his... I think he might have been overtaken this year. Personal, like, yeah, (laughs) now, yeah, Yeah. now for sure. Uh, But it feels tender, it feels honest, it's genuine. This film is genuine. And if that didn't resonate with you, fair enough. But for me, the intentions of David Lowry, the director here, seem to me entirely earnest and well-meaning and 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 like I say to reiterate like genuine right um, the theme of a ghost story couldn't be more universal the film is about questions like uh, the you well the the sense of the universe uh, we die we go away what remains after we're dead what have we done to impact on the world Will that live on? What's the point of any of our endeavours? The divisive scene that we talked about when we reviewed this film, Paul, I think, uh, is Bonnie Prince Billy, I think, is the the musician-turned-actor in that sequence. 
I understand why people don't like that scene, but I think that in scene that scene is entirely necessary for this movie because it lays bare the ideas that are at this uh, that are at the center of the film, which are that no matter what you do in a certain amount of time you're dust and there's nothing and there are memories and there are recollections and there are uh, uh, family trees and there are uh, connected timelines but in a certain sense there's nothing so whilst we're here what impact can we have on other people and in this film that impact is profound and then it's strained well, that and then it's kind of gone there's that moment as well which you point out to me because I think we we both saw it twice if I remember rightly yeah um, and there's a moment that you didn't spot that I didn't spot actually uh, and you did is when there's that song that Casey Affleck composes and then when it goes all the way back to like pioneers to pioneer times hmm. like the people building the houses are, 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 are humming the humming song humming the tune yeah. and I think if I it's, it's obviously hit my top ten so I'm not going to really argue with you on the quality of the film I think it if I had to pick a scene of the year, it would be when the office block is built and the ghost dies off the top of the office block. I think that would 100% like my scene of the year would be that entire scene. So I'm, I'm with you on the fact that Ghost Story was fantastic. The ghost Story was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And, really, and, really enjoyed, really, and, really liked it. And to round, to round sort of my, my thoughts off, um, we talked earlier about, yeah, personal impacts that, that films have on you and, and the sequence in the film that, is going to stick with me for the longest is the part where there are two ghosts and they're communicating subtitles with yeah, each other yeah. and the the one ghost um, we've had nothing like this up to this point the one ghost communicates yeah it just completely comes out of the blue doesn't it which communicates is yeah. I don't think they're coming back as in the people that were with us before we died have left and I don't think they care about us think about us or want to be around us anymore and when that realisation hits the ghost falls to the ground as a yeah. sheet devoid incredible. of anything G- genuinely incredible scene. And, and I don't know about you but if you've ever been through a, either a bereavement or a major breakup you may well have had that thought of like do I matter any more to this person? How much does this person matter to me? How much are we connected? How strained is that connection going to get over time when the house that we live in changes to another house, when the house is bulldozed, when the the, the, the plows of like development crush everything that we knew before and the place where we sit and record this show, for example, becomes somebody else's home and somebody else's environment and somebody else is day to day what does it matter that we're talking words into a microphone to round off the films of the year of 2017 so yeah I I just I know I know and I get it a ghost story won't work for everyone if you thought it was pretentious drivel fine if you think no and it's exactly what I said earlier is like it's a film for people into their artistic films like it's not meant for everyone like I, I agree with you Paul I do agree with you but then at the same time I think it's also like a film for people who are prepared and maybe these are the same thing but I think these are the same a film thing. for people who are prepared to be sort of open-hearted and just go for the go along for the ride. Even if you feel like I'm watching this woman eat a cake indefinitely, and that scene is amazing. It, even if you're, you're everything in you is bristling and you think like, oh, I kind of hate what's happening here. Just go along for the ride and have those thoughts. What does this mean? How does this relate to me? Because if you don't go on that ride, I think you're really missing out. Because uh, to me, a ghost story is gonna yeah again stand the test of time. I think it's a fantastic 
fantastic, fantastic piece of work, and I and I absolutely loved it. So that brings me to the end of my chart, and us to and the end of our charts. Us, no, that brings us to the end of 2017. It does. Um, wow. Again, again, it's I just, been emotional. No, genuinely, I just want to say. Thanks for listening. Um, the fact that we're doing weekly episodes now stands by. Other, if, if you hadn't been listening, we'd have gone. Why are we doing it weekly? We've done it weekly this year. We've consistently done it weekly all year. So thank you for listening. Um, we will be back in the new year with yeah. a, I think a 2018 preview. I think a- absolutely, we will. Yeah, that's probably going to be the first um, one out the gate in 2018. And also, like, we just want to say, you know, no pressure on anyone. But please, if you enjoy this show, write us a review on iTunes. Share it around, or just tell us you want. Come on, yeah. We've had people on this. We've had fans on this year for sure. Come on the show, but tell a friend, tell somebody else. Because to be honest, as you know, podcasts are now more prevalent than ever, and they exist and thrive through word of mouth. So tell somebody else, get someone else on board, give us your suggestions about how we could improve the show, and we really look forward to 2018 and a great year ahead. Yes. Um, So happy 2017, happy New Year. We'll see you in the new year. See ya. Shut up and sit down.